Good morning, everybody. So good to see you all. My name is Jenny. I'm the interim lead pastor here at Emmanuel. Um, these are fun weeks, these first weeks of school, because we get to um, see a lot of you that maybe we haven't seen over the summer. Um, so welcome back. This is also a time where we have a lot of new people. So if this is your first Sunday, welcome. We're so glad to have you here with us. Um, we're going to be reading in the Gospel of Luke this morning. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 12. If not, you can look at the screen and we have it up there. Starting in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, what should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we have been studying the gospel of Luke this year. And if you have been with us for any amount of time, you know uh, that Jesus cares a lot about money. He cares a lot about economics. Um, and he's bringing kind of a new way of doing economics into the world through his kingdom. And he talks about that a lot in his ministry. Uh, Luke, in particular, as a gospel writer, loves these stories of Jesus and has made sure to collect every single one he heard Jesus say and put it in his gospel. Um, so at this point in the gospel, we are getting into a lot of these stories about Jesus talking about money and about wealth. And I find it interesting. In a lot of these stories, Jesus is speaking to, directly to these like societal and systemic um, injustices that live within our system, within our society, and how God's kingdom is altogether different, and how our job as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is to kind of live into a different way of being. Um, the other wonderful thing about Jesus is that he also takes these moments and he speaks to our hearts. We can't have one without the other, I think. A lot of us who uh, do the church shopping thing, a lot of times are dissatisfied because it seems like one church talks about one thing all the time and the other church talks about the other one the, all, the all the time. And we're missing what Jesus is attempting to do with his life and his teaching and his ministry if we only see that like things are supposed to be different on the outside and not on the inside and vice versa. So I find it really interesting here um, as Jesus is kind of in the middle of this um, moment where he's teaching all about the way that God's kingdom is different and how it should make our world look different, that he takes this moment to not address the systemic injustice, but the injustice that's happening in this one person's life, and in particular, the sin that is coming out of that injustice in him. Um, I I think this story is important for a lot of reasons. First and foremost, for me, because I am a second child. 
Um, so I hate the idea, you know. I, that's something, if that was like really happening in my life and there was a teacher around, a wise teacher, I think I too would say like, what's the deal with this? Also, can you be an arbitrator between the two of us? Um, I think that, that is something that I would say as a second child. But also like in this day and age, you know, I, my older sibling is, uh, is female. So either she would get all the inheritance and I wouldn't get it, or even worse, neither of us would get it and our little brother would. So, which I hate both of those ideas. So this story to me felt personal, um, just in terms of my like birth order. Um, so I think it's really interesting here that Jesus chooses this moment not to address like, yeah, you're right, that is unfair. What he does is he says, what is this unfairness doing to your heart? What's the thing that's like growing in you or the fear that's driving you from asking even this question? And that is greed. The desire, the intense desire for things, for wealth. When Jesus talks about greed in his life, his general sentiment is run the other way. He is like not shy about the things he has to say about money and about greed. Um, when it comes to accumulation, more for more sake, and what it does to our hearts. To help in warning this guy who wants the inheritance, Jesus tells a story, um, because he's a very good teacher, and good teachers always uh, tell really good stories. So he tells this story about a man who had some really great agricultural luck. He was already rich, um, but he had even more luck uh, one year, and so much so that he didn't have enough storage for all of these crops. So he takes these barns that he already has that are built, that hold all of his things, and he tears them down and builds bigger ones so that he can put all of these crops, store all of these things in these giant barns. And then he has a conversation with his own soul. Soul, relax. Now that he has this view out of his window, you know, of these giant barns holding all of his things. And then God comes to him and says, this very night, your life is being demanded of you. And all these things you have prepared, whose will they be? And so Jesus says then, so it is with those who store up treasures, treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. What Jesus knows and what you and I ought to know is that Money is spiritual. It is formational. It reveals things about the states of our hearts and it forms them into something. Money, how we see it, how we use it is an indicator of our alignment or misalignment with Jesus's kingdom and with his heart. It's an indication of our personal life with Jesus and how we are enacting God's kingdom in the world. As Jesus puts it, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's just not mere sentiment. He's speaking very truthfully when he says that. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So there are three parts of the story that I want to lean into today that I think were important. Um, and the first is this guy talking to himself. Soul, relax. The second is when God comes and says, tonight your very life is being demanded of you. And thirdly is be rich towards God. What does that mean? First, though, I want to say this. Um, I was talking with my friend Sharon this week. Y'all might know Sharon. She comes to this uh, service. She's a financial advisor and a great person to talk to if you're going to do a sermon about money, you know. Um, Sharon deals with individuals and their money. And, um, 
and she's very pastoral, and she sees from the first time I ever talked to her over a year ago, it was very clear that she saw money in this very symbolic and um, formational way. And uh, so as I was talking to her this week, we just started talking about the sermon a little bit, and she said, um, you know, when you start talking to people about their money, things get personal very quickly, which isn't that the truth. Um, our money and our relationship with money is so personal. And I don't mean that to say, like, it's your business. Because if Jesus and the New Testament teaches us anything, is that your money is our business. <laughs> it's all of our business. We share things. That's what the church does. What I mean by money is personal is that we all have our personal stories of how we relate to money, how our parents or our families related to money, um, our like scars and trauma around money, those kinds of things. Um, so when we start talking about money in a sermon, it's really important to acknowledge that all of us are coming um, not only with different um, amounts of possessions, you know, but like the different stories about how we got here and what money does in our hearts when we talk about it and think about it. Uh, some of us, I think, were supported so much for so long that when uh, it came time to be grown-ups, we didn't have the financial wisdom that we needed to actually do that well to make those decisions. And some of us are kind of living in the aftermath of that or in the very middle of it. Uh, for some of us, we grew up, and um, it's the case for my husband, who's one of seven kids, and his dad was a school teacher. Every month when it came time to pay the bills, it's like he would go into the closet and like get out the calculator and the bills were all in front of him and everybody just held their breath, you know, hoping that the numbers worked out uh, his whole childhood. And that may have been your story. Um, that makes money really scary. Um, and for some of us, we didn't Money wasn't an issue, it wasn't something we thought about or cared about that much until like an event happened, something tragic, like maybe um, a death or a job loss or a divorce, which was the case for me. I didn't think about much of my childhood until my parents got divorced. And then from one parent, since I was 12 till this very day, that's the majority of what is talked about between us. It's all I hear about is this fear around what's coming next. Money is so personal, so symbolic, so tied to moments in our life, tied to relationships, tied to tragedy, but it's also tied to joyful moments too, you know? Um, it can have like a sort of uh, bring a, up a joyfulness in us for some memories. I remember the first time I ever asked for a raise at a job. Does anybody else remember the first time you ever, has any, everybody asked for a raise? Um, maybe not. I was uh, 22 and working at, as an assistant director at a tutoring center, and, um, and I thought I worked, my work had been good. <laughs> I'd been there a year. And my boss, who was not the owner, um, she thought I was crazy and entitled, and she told me to my face, and I still asked, and I wore my heels and my blazer. <laughs> And I got my raise, you know? And, <laughs> and so money for me in that moment meant um, it didn't have as much power over me after that, you know? I was empowered to ask, and I hadn't have been for all of my career to ask for what I need, um, which is important, you know? Those moments shape us. So I don't know where you are this morning, and I don't know your whole story, but what I know is that Jesus does. Jesus knows where you come from and what your relationship with money is. 
and he cares really deeply about all of those things and about your story. And so my prayer this morning and all week really has been um, that I hope you hear something very personal from Jesus this morning. You know, if not from me, then, then from him. Hopefully, through me, you can hear from him as well. So this first part, soul relax, which I just think is funny. Every time I've come to this story, I think it's very funny. Um, first of all, to talk to your own soul and to call it soul <laughs> is very funny. Um, but what's happening in this moment is such like a stark picture of what it looks like when we put our trust in things or in wealth. You can hear the relief in the guy's voice, like soul, relax, drink, eat, be merry. Uh, some of us haven't had the blessing of being poor at some point in our life, and I don't say that facetiously. Jesus said, blessed are the poor. Um, and even for those of us who have had that um, financial state at some point in our life, for a lot of us, we had things we could fall back on. Um, so if we totally run out of money, I ran out of money and a place to, li to live all in the same week, um, which was one of the scariest weeks of my life. Um, but I still knew that if I had to, I could move home. Um, and even if there wasn't money to be given to me to help me then live, I knew my mom was paying for her house so I could live there. For a lot of us, that's the case. Even when we're living paycheck to paycheck, there's a, a sort of thing to fall back on. So it's easy to look at this moment and sort of laugh it off. Um, but when you're struggling, and even when you're not, and unexpected funds come your way, um, are these not the exact words you say to yourself? Soul, relax. Let's go to 246, you know? <laughs> Is it like every time I've ever gotten a raise, the very first thing I do is go buy dinner that's too expensive. It's like, that's just what we do, you know? Um, but what's true for us as Christians is that we must work towards practicing a different kind of posture. Because the problem with the mental this kind of mentality is that we are confusing security with trust. And the thing is, is that all of it could be gone tomorrow, you know? What if this guy woke up in the middle of the night and his barns were burning down? Everything he had would be lost. It would no longer be time to relax. We must learn to cultivate the posture that our security, real security, is in something that we cannot actually possess. The question is for us, how tied is our trust in God to the things that we possess, to our wealth, to the money in our bank accounts? The posture we must adopt to combat this attitude of, okay, soul, now that we can have stuff and can relax, is faith. Faith in the one who is before all things and in him all things hold together, the Bible tells us. If we struggle to hold Jesus as first in our life, if we struggle to see Jesus as someone who cares about us and who loves us and is holding us together, if we struggle to feel loved and seen by him, of course our faith will be in our paycheck. What else would it be in? If we struggle to feel like God is our father and is holding us, that we're in the palm of his hand, it makes all the sense in the world that that number in your bank account will be the thing that you depend on, where your trust lies. And I want you to hear me say, it's not bad to want to be financially secure. I think Jesus would stand in the flesh in front of us today and say, it's wise. It's a good thing. You should want that for yourself. But the question for us is, if it were gone tomorrow for whatever reason, if things financially begin to shift for you, will your faith also shift? 
some of us haven't had to think about money for so long, that question is like not, we can't even like comprehend that we would need to ask ourselves that. If things started to shift, would your faith shift? Is your faith in God directly tied to your circumstances? Thinking about money differently allows us, trains our hearts to be captive, not to the numbers in our bank accounts, but to the heart of Jesus. Because the thing is, and I think why, this is why Jesus talks about money so much, is it captures us. It takes us captive. It runs our life, even if we have a lot of it, if we don't give it over to him. Jesus talks so much about money because he wants us to be free. And money takes us captive. So the second part of the story is your life is being demanded of you. Not only do we need to practice the reality that our security isn't something we cannot possess, like learning to sort of have that faith, but also come to the reality uh, that our security is actually in something that possesses us and all things. I love this moment in the text because it's so dramatic and I love drama. Your life's being demanded of you, you know? Like, what does that even mean? Um, another translation of it is like, God is asking back for what he has given you. On loan, basically. And that's where this idea of stewardship comes in. Everything that is yours, your life, your body, your money, your house, your relationships, all the things in your life have been given to you by a gracious and abundant God for you to steward and do good with and ultimately know that these things belong to him and will ultimately be given back to him. You are created to be a supervisor over the things that God has given you. My uh, old friend, he's not old, <laughs> just an old friend. Uh, Brad Malden is a pastor at Trinity Westside. And I remember years ago before I ever had kids, him talking about his kids as being on loan to him from God. And, um, and that's the posture they took in raising their kids. And um, even before my own kids, it's like I thought back then, like, man, what a way to think about the things that you have in your life, the things that you own, even your, your, um, your relationships that these are things that are given to you by God, gifts from a very good father, that you are meant to steward in your life and ultimately know that they are his and you will give them back to him. There's an earthly finiteness to all that is yours, but not to God. What this ought to do is like release us to be open-handed with the things that God has given us. Again, to let us be more free because they're not in your control. They didn't belong to you in the first place. They were always a gracious gift from God. Ten Commandments scholar Gilbert Mylander talks about the commandments as bonds. If you were in our last foundations class, you probably heard us talk about this. Um, these, the, the commandments are like bonds between God and us and us and each other, like me and you, and then us and our stuff as well. So when God gives the command, you, thou shalt not steal and thou shalt not covet, um, there's, there's a reason for that. Not just that it's like not good, but like God created you to love your things and love your people and want to take care of them and steward them well. So like if we have stuff stolen from us, we should not be happy about that, you know? Um, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that we should understand the God-givenness of the things we possess 
and be more free with them. It ought to allow us to be more free. So while we hold them close and are stewards of them and do the very best we can with them, at the same time, we understand that they belong to God ultimately and that we should be, be released to be free with those things. God is calling us to see ourselves as stewards of his good gifts. And the last is be rich towards God. So what does it mean to be rich towards God? You know, I think there's, this is like a whole like sermon in and of itself. But I think um, for us this morning, what I think God wants to say is, is that being rich towards God means being a generous person. Sort of like the opposite of greed is generosity. So what does it mean for us to be generous people? Jesus, I think, talks a lot about generosity. He just is a generous person. The way he talks about his kingdom is that it is a, it is a place of generosity. But in particular, Paul in the epistles, um, when he describes the church and what it means to be a member of Christ's church, it is to be generous. Uh, the church itself ought to be described in the world as a generous entity. It should be like the first thing about us that people say, she's really generous. That church is really generous. That's what we're created to be like. That's what it means to be rich towards God. And here's the thing about being generous, why it's so great, is because if you want to have more trust in God, if you want to see yourself as a steward of his good gifts, and if those two things are really hard for you, beginning to be generous will train your heart to believe those things, will train your heart to trust God, because once you give something away, then you are dependent upon God helping you make it to the next place. And you will begin to see that God actually owns all of this stuff and it's his to give freely and he will. So practically, I want to talk about two things um, of what it looks like to be stewards of what God has given us, particularly within the church, as we're all kind of coming back to the church from the summer. The first is tithing. Um, now, some of you are like, I am Baptist. I have heard too many sermons about tithing. Um, my husband actually said I talk too much about tithing. So, um, so there's that. But I didn't grow up in the church. And so I think talking about tithing together is really helpful. We also almost never talk about tithing. Um, I can't think of one other sermon where we have. So bear with me. It's not long. It's not actually long. Um, but here's what I'll say about tithing. So tithing from the very beginning of God's relationship with humanity has been one of the primary ways that we worship God. In the Old Testament, they, it talks about tithing. It also talks about sacrifice, um, that we, in relationship with God, give God our things. Now, for some of us, this may like, create this idea in us that, like, why does God so greedy? Like, why does God tell me not to be greedy, but then God wants all my stuff? Um, why would God demand these sacrifices? There's this moment in the Psalms that I love to get to in my uh, morning reading that I think are, is funny. Um, in Psalm 50 where God says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. For all the world and all that is in it is mine. So this idea that like God doesn't actually need our stuff. Here's the thing. God doesn't need our stuff. God wants our hearts. And God is all knowing enough to know that our stuff is tied to our hearts. And so in order for us to give him our hearts and be open to him with our hearts, we then give him our things. God is a very good parent 
a very good teacher. And so he knows if these two things are tied together, if we can like give him one of those things, we can then symbolically give him the other thing. We give him our hearts when we give him our stuff. Worship. And what we do in worship is deeply formational. Now, we ought to, like, have lives of worship. That is true. Like, worship should happen for us in every facet of our life. But particularly in this moment during your week where you come uh, to the altar of God at this table to, like, participate in communion with Jesus, this space that we enter in together ought to be deeply, deeply formational for you. It should change the way you think about yourself, it should change the way you think about God. It should change the way you think about others. You know, as we like sing together and like open ourselves up to God, that says something about who we think God is and what God desires of us. We come to the table and take communion. That says something about who Jesus is and our relationship with him and how much we get to inherit from him. This beautiful moment of communion with Jesus, it says so much. When we pass the peace with one another, it says that we are a people, the church is a people of reconciliation. We are a people who seeks reconciliation with God, and we are a people who then seeks reconciliation with each other. It's not just a nice sentimental thing that we do every week. It really should do something in us. And the same thing is true for tithing. It's why it happens during the service. It's a way for us to connect to God. It connects us to God and it connects us to our community. In the New Testament, the tithe was the way the church took care of those who led them spiritually. Um, still part of the reason we tithe today on behalf of myself and our entire team. Thank you very much. Thank you for helping us eat food every day. Um, it's also the community bucket out of which those who have needs are taken care of and that is also still true today. When you tithe to this church, we pay for this very expensive, very ugly building <laughs> and our utilities. We pay for our staff. And then what we do with the rest of that money is we do things that blesses you and blesses our community, that reaches out into the world to places where there are needs. That's what we do with it. That's what it looks like when you tithe to the church. It moves our heart towards one another, towards the community of faith. It says, when we tithe, what is mine belongs to God and belongs to my brothers and my sisters. It's a way of honoring God and what he's doing through the church and that you and I are recipients of it. You may have noticed that I took out uh, the wording in the liturgy a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, um, when it comes time for the offering. Do you guys remember this? I, always and forever we said um, everything's taken care of. And our vestry a few months ago was like, you have to stop saying that. Everything is not taken care of. And that doesn't mean we're drowning or anything like that. What that means is that it makes it sound like there's some like very nice benefactor somewhere who like pays us many, many checks and the rest of us are just here to party and have a very nice time. Um, and while we do have a very nice time, um, that's not the case. We are here because, because the people who sit in these seats believe in what God is doing here and, and tithe. Your financial participation in this church matters. The reason we even said that to begin with, everything's taken care of, is a, a way to be hospitable towards new people. And if you are new today, I want to say everything is taken care of by everybody else in here. That's how it works. And isn't that beautiful? Isn't that the way the church should work? 
Your participation financially has always mattered in the church, not this, just church, this church, but the history of the church. That's why we're here today. It's one of the many ways we give to each other and that we symbolize that we belong to each other. The second way that we can be rich towards God and the church is serving. Now, here's the thing. Many of us are living sort of paycheck to paycheck when it comes to money. That is true, and so I'm sure some of this is hard to hear in terms of financial stuff. Um, but there's like another end of the spectrum where some of us are living paycheck to paycheck when it comes to our time. I think so many of us have enough in, the, in our bank accounts that once, what ends up actually being our treasure is our time, and we are stingy about it. And I say that kind of with that tone because I'm talking about me. <laughs> I am so busy. It is so hard for me to create the space that I need to to be the person God needs me to be in the world. When we think about time, you know, we use time, time the language around it is all metaphorical. Um, even when we describe it, we say things like save time, spend time, waste time, budget time. My time is valuable. They're all money terms. But we have the like time is money expression, you know. I order my groceries to my house because even though it's more expensive, it saves me time and my time is valuable to me, you know. That's how we think about it. The reason we don't serve, the reason we can't find the space to serve is because we have no space, because everything else is taking up all of that time. A lot of people say, like, I don't have the emotional space, and I'm like, I hear you. Neither do I. We have to make that space in the other places in our life so that we can give our time back to God. Our friend John Thompson, who preached here um, on Pentecost Sunday and has also been a consultant for us, he said that in our consultant meetings and this in our uh, in this sermon, but he said, you know, if the Holy Spirit were to show up right now and say, I need you to do this thing, a lot of us would get our phones out and check our schedule next week and say, I would love to do that for you next week. That's how busy we are. We would schedule in the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament church, there was no church without a body of people who were the church, who served, who were the hands and feet of Jesus in the body of Christ. And the same thing is true today. I think a lot of us um, have this idea of serving that is um, really unhelpful, that I found some language for that I'm going to read to you in a second. Um, I will say, I think the thing that trained, help, was the most helpful in training this out of me, at least to a little, a little extent, is working in youth ministry. Um, no one looks at you more like they don't want to hear what you have to say than kids. And I had to preach weekly sermons to kids for six years. And so when you all look like you don't want me up here, it's okay. I've been trained. Um, but, like, there is no longer game than youth ministry, you know? Every week you come in, and it looks like absolutely nothing is happening. And then ten years later, you hear from someone who says, you saved my life. And you have to wait ten years to hear that. Serving doesn't look like this amazing, incredible opportunity most days, you know? It looks like shoveling dirt a lot of days, like from one hole to the next. But in God's kingdom, something amazing happens when we do that kind of work. So this quote comes from a book called Next Sunday, An Honest Dialogue About the Future of the Church by um, a woman named Nancy Beach and her daughter, Samantha Kylie Beach. No, Beach Kylie. And um, Samantha Beach Kylie is, uh, says this about serving. I would like to do good and feel good. I would like to do good on my own schedule. 
I would like to do good without sacrifice. I would like to look good while doing good. I would like to change someone's life in one hour or $25 a month. I would like it afterward if someone could show me what I fixed. Isn't that true? If our treasure is our time, if that's what it is for you, what are you giving to the Lord in your community? What does your time tithe sort of look like? So to close, I will say this, a story about Mike Tyson. You guys excited? Um, I was uh, watching a video a few weeks ago of Mike Tyson, which is not something I do, by the way. Um, but it just kind of popped up. And uh, it's this video of him talking to friends. Um, and someone brought up the unfortunate reality that Mike Tyson at one point had to go to prison in his life and um, for, for terrible things that he did. He went to prison. But, um, and someone brings this up and he says, well, going to prison was the best thing that ever happened to me. And, um, and the people around him are shocked, you know, by him saying that. And like, why, why would you say that? And he says, because I didn't, I didn't have my stuff anymore. All that stuff that I thought defined me in my life, I didn't have access to it anymore. And what I found was peace. I got free in prison. And when we let our stuff determine our freedom, our peace, it will never be deep peace. It will never be deep freedom. Soul, relax, that kind of mentality will always depend on how much is in our barns. And Jesus wants you to be freer than that. That ties you to a number. And you, my friends, were created to be free people, tied to something more eternal than that, tied to something better than that. And so this morning, if you need to be free, Jesus is t telling you that is on offer to you in him. He wants to touch all the places in your heart where there are wounds, where money means, you know, deep, hurtful things and offer you something better. I'll offer you freedom. Amen. Amen. Hello, friends. This is Matthew, the lead pastor at Emmanuel Anglican Church in East Atlanta. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are disciples of Jesus who are seeking his kingdom and the flourishing of our neighbors. And if you want to find out more about Emmanuel and what's going on, just hop over to our website. The address is Emmanuel, that's with an I, EmmanuelATL.org. Thanks so much. God bless you. Grace and peace.